Hi, this is Dan from Oceanside. You must have run out of podcasts because you're currently listening to I Doubt It with Dollamore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. Episode 541 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and I'm joined today by the lovely, the talented, and the scholarly Brittany Page. And the VR expert. <laughs> the technological wonderkin. Mm-hmm. Brittany Page. So we have some very lovely friends who brought over the Oculus virtual reality headset. Is that what it's called? Uh, I guess, yeah. Um, it, it is a headset. Yes. Shout out to Raimi and Alina. Um, we had this very exciting experience with the virtual reality. You, your tune is completely different now than what it was. Because you couldn't have given two fucks about that thing. The, the night that it was here. Um, so I think I was just apprehensive about it because... Because you saw me using it and I look like an idiot in the middle of the living room. Well, everyone looks like an <laughs> idiot when they use it because you, you're wearing the headset and you're in a different reality. You're in the virtual reality. <laughs> and so you're doing things that don't make sense to the people that are watching you. Yeah. But it is... You're sitting there hammering a nail or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. But it makes a lot of sense to you because you're actually in there doing stuff. Um, so I was apprehensive, though, because... It's a little disorienting when you put it on. It's kind of like... No, I'm saying apprehensive because when it brought... You didn't even want to put it in. You're like, nah, I'm not interested. I don't want to try it. I yeah, don't care. Yeah, I, I was nervous. Yeah. I was apprehensive about it. So it was nervousness. Yes, I huh. was I was apprehensive. That's... You, you I keep saying apprehensive. Well, you're it's, rejecting it's, my feeling. Well, why don't you use... If I'm not... If you're... you're if, if the message you're, you're sending isn't being received... Then maybe alter the word. Don't just keep saying apprehensive. Well, no, because that's how <laughs> I'm going to explain my experience. Right. And you're either going to accept it or reject it. And I don't really give. Well, I, I, how can I accept or reject if I don't quite understand? Well, learn to understand. Okay, learn, figure it out. Learn to understand Bernie Page. The word. Yeah. The word. Um. So, so, yeah, you went first. You put the headset on and... The way this particular one works, I don't know if all of them are like this. I don't really know a lot about it, but um, you have to kind of get introduced into how to use it. So you have these these two things that you're holding in your hands, like controllers, and then you're wearing the headset, and that's it. You have the two things in your hands, and then the headset. And it's incredible when you first yeah. put that thing on, and the screen comes on. I mean, you're just immersed in it. You can't see where you are in the room, like everything disappears and all you can see is the virtual reality. Yeah, well what they do is they have you uh, they have you like outline your your play area. Your play area, which you can see at the beginning. Yeah. So in then, the room. So then you don't walk into the coffee table. You're not you're not at risk of fumble fucking your way into an injury. Right, because once you are in the virtual reality <laughs> Why why does that tickle you so I much don't to know. say? Um and you get too close to that line that you've drawn, you know, your play area, it will warn you. It will it will show like the outline and say, "Uh oh, you're about to knock into your TV. Slow it down a little yeah, bit. <laughs> slow your roll. Yeah, stop the kayaking. <laughs> stop the vigorous kayaking, Brittany. Please. Um, but we we did different activities while we were in there. You did boxing. Yeah, I wore myself the fuck and out, and you were out of breath Holy afterward. Shit, you were really in going fact, to town. The next day, the shul my shoulder. Mm -hmm. the, the the same shoulder I had uh, surgery on yeah. was really sore for the next couple days because I was 
I was really going to town as I was getting my ass beat in that boxing game. Did you win? Oh, fuck no. Did your face hurt when you were done? No. So I guess that was a win. Yeah, okay. it was a win. All I right. lost in the game, but yeah. my, my face was unscathed. Well, there you go. That's right. Um, what else did you do while you were in there? I don't know. I threw some paper airplanes. I futzed around with the... With the, uh, whatever the, the, the thing they put you through to, to familiarize yourself with the controllers. Yeah. Ah, but I didn't do like the ice climbing and all the crazy shit you did. Because as apprehensive as you were, uh-huh. you ended up embracing it and you were in there for twice as long as me. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Um, I became a photographer for Nat Geo. <laughs> And I was scaling an ice wall. Um, <laughs> Do you think they're going to send What's you? happening right now? I'm coughing into the microphone we'll get like it a together over there. I'm telling a story. I know. And it made me cough. Maybe I'm allergic to your storytelling. Is that what happens I, when you have an allergic reaction? You start I, coughing? I think so. All right. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, but I was... I was going to ask if you got a certificate. If you're now a, a Nat Geo certified virtual reality photographer. Nope. No. Nope. Oh, okay. Nope. Just a grossologist. Um, <laughs> Just a grossologist. It's a throwback. <laughs> um, no, I, I didn't get some sort of certificate, but I did take pictures of penguins and I went kayaking for a substantial amount of time. That was interesting because, again, you can't see the room. You can only see the virtual reality. And so Popeye was coming up to me and like licking my arm <laughs> while I was kayaking and I couldn't see him. So it was very. Anyway, he was interrupting my time. I have photos of you kayaking through the living room. Yes. On the ground. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it was very, it was awesome. It was a really cool experience. I can understand why people enjoy this and uh, buy these headsets. They're pretty expensive, though. I, I think, like, I want to get one, but I'm going to wait till the next generation comes out because they'll have worked out some kinks and figured it out, and it'll be just that much more awesome. Mm-hmm. But I'm not even a video game guy. Like, we've got an Xbox 360 that I'm not even sure works. We haven't even tried. We used to just keep it to play DVDs. And now DVDs aren't a yeah, thing. Yeah, that's not even a thing now. So I'm not like we don't have an Xbox One. I don't have a PlayStation 4 or 5 or whatever fucking number they're on now. I'm not a video game guy. So, but this was interesting enough to me that I was like, oh, I want to get one right now that night. And then I decided to be, be responsible, delay gratification until they've honed the technology. Why do you laugh and make a fucking <laughs> fuck you face? I, I, if if I'm laughing and smiling, I'm not sure how that's a fuck you face. Well, it's not a fuck you. It's like a, you're a douche face. Mm. Yes. Yes. What was in your head just now? That I appreciated what you were saying. No. That I valued it. You most certainly did not have that in your head as you had that smirk on your face. I value what you say. I think it's important stuff. I wonder uh, how many of the audience has actually spent some time in the Oculus yeah. VR For sure. world. And if you haven't, I recommend it. I think you can go like try it at like Best Buy or something, right? They have, oh, like, yeah. They sell it at Best Buy. Yeah, yeah. They have like displays where you can go and, and try it out. Although, you know, bring some sort of Lysol wipe so that you can wipe it down. Let me tell you before something. Before you put it on your face, please. Mark Zuckerberg... For all his getting into trouble with, you know, destroying privacy in the world. Um, <laughs> Goddamn, that guy, is a, he is a visionary to figure out that that's the way to go. That he bought Ocul- you know, the, the company. That wasn't like they developed it out of hand. Mm-hmm. He bought that and knew that this is the next thing. And who fucking knows where this thing's going to go outside of an entertainment microcosm? They hit his medical implications of being able to perform surgeries and shit. Pretty goddamn great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. As always, we try to amplify the voices of our audience through voicemails and voice memos. Sometimes when we have bonus episodes, and our bonus episodes are, uh, we're wanting them to be uh, less few and far between and more, more frequent. And um, sometimes we get into conversations with guests that raise questions. And I always, we always say, if you have questions, we'd love to hear from you. Sound off. And that really rarely happens. And I don't know if it's because 
listeners know that it's going to be a long time before we have that guest back on. So they're not going to get a direct answer to their question. But sometimes it's just a topic question. Yeah. And when we had Adam G. Simon on the show for episode bonus episode number 75, which means it's our 75th bonus episode. Is that too much explanation for something that's very basic? I mean, we appreciate the detail. <laughs> um, we got into religion, as usually we do. And we have a question about that very topic. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. Gene from Benita Springs, Florida. Um, so I was just listening to the bonus episode, and um, now there was a part where we started talking about religion. Well, not we, you guys. <laughs> but uh, you guys started talking about religion and the, the, cultish, the cultish nature of it, especially um, the part that I can relate to or maybe not relate to, is the Catholic Church. And honestly, this is something I've been struggling with um, a lot um, while listening to the podcast, because I, you know, I agree or somewhat agree with most of the things that you guys have to say. Um, and it, But I always struggled with the religious part of uh, what you guys, uh, how, what you guys think of it. And I don't even think that I disagree with you, because the Catholic Church is pretty fucking horrible, and, you know, how they cover up stuff is part of the reason why I don't go to church now, but I can't, you know, I can't think back to all my memories of being in the church, you know, because I went to Catholic school pretty much all my life. I, you know, I uh, was part of the church. I fed the homeless with the ministry as part of youth group. You know, and uh, I never had a bad experience. And I'm not trying to say, hey, my experience is, uh, you know, everyone's experience. And I, you know, I I'm not trying to pull all that because everyone had a different experience. But I could just say from my experience, I never had any of that. And I, you know, actually, a lot of the my time at the church, you know, with the people there and everything, shaped who I was today, because, you know, going to Catholic school and everything like that, it, it you know, it actually helped him, because, you know, I don't know how other Catholic schools are, but it, it just never felt pushed in my face exactly of, like, religion, and I don't know if it's, like, a regional thing, um, I don't know if, you know, Haitian Catholic churches are different or, you know, or multicultural Catholic churches are different or something like that, because I have been in uh, predominantly white Catholic churches, and uh, I have felt a different vibe for sure. But I, I know, I just, I, I struggle uh, you know, not necessarily with your views on it, I just think, I, I mean, I have my own personal biases which makes me struggle. But I, I just, I've always, you know, wondered, like, is this what everyone else is feeling about the Catholic Church, when people feel like they've been forced, or, you know, they're pressured into stuff, or things like that? I just, and I would really love to, to know, you know, with any of the other Catholics or former Catholics out there, like, did you really have that bad of an experience? Because I always felt like, yeah, they're horrible on things, and again, one of the reasons why I don't go to church anymore support it, because I, I do not agree with how they handle a lot of the shit that they do. But, you know, was going to church, or was that the worst experience, or was it, that was the only thing that you did there? I don't know, I'm kind of rambling, it's pretty late, and I'm driving at night, so... It just got my brain thinking, like, I know I didn't have that bad of an experience. I, actually, I, I wouldn't say I had a bad experience at all. Um, I just naturally grew away from it. But I would love to know, you know, what was everyone else's experience, you know? You know, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, well, you guys have a great night or morning or whatever time you... Uh, listen to this and uh Brittany's the best part bye love the show Brittany's the best part bye 
So I don't want to. I don't want to boil down Gene's one. I don't know exactly what Gene, what question he has. It seemed to kind of uh, be more of a, a venting session. Yeah, that's okay. Totally fine. But but if but if the thesis of your message, Gene, is something akin to, well, I wasn't raped like thousands upon thousands of other kids when they went to 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 Catholic church or involved in the Catholic church. So it uh, seems okay to me. And I don't think that's what he's saying, but that's what he's saying. I don't think that's intending to be his message, but ultimately it's, well, I had a good time. I didn't feel forced to do whatever. Yeah, well, in, in the beginning, right, it was, um, I didn't feel forced to be religious like that's kind of the the thing that i was hearing Mm -hmm. and i also had that experience in my church growing up until i like stepped out of it uh because when you're in it you you can say to yourself hi i don't really feel the pressure to be religious right like to adhere to the principles here um but boy, once you say you're an atheist and you're no longer a believer, uh, watch that community shrivel right up. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, because while you're in it, you don't notice, right? Because everyone assumes that you're all of like mind, you, you hold the same beliefs, right? And you may not feel in that moment that anything is being pushed on you because you are a part. Yeah, yeah. But once you are not a part, then you see how it is pushed on you. Because if you aren't of like mind, if you don't hold those same beliefs, then yeah, it's going to be pushed on you. Well, especially related to the topic of of conversation on the bonus episode, which is like cults. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to call the Catholic Church a cult because it's like this mainstream religious organization. Mm -hmm. But if you look at what defines a cult, eh, it's not far off. You have a charismatic leader at the at the top of the organization. You're really questioning the doctrine that has come down from this leader isn't isn't um, uh, promoted. It's actually discouraged to question. Well, and that's what I would say too. I did Gene have an experience where he was questioning the teachings, where he was questioning some of the tenets, and he was received with open arms and encouraged to question and encouraged to do his independent research and encouraged to explore other religious orientations uh, and affiliations. I doubt it. Yeah. Right? Uh, Catholic Mass isn't an ecumenical kind of a gathering. It's it's Catholic. Can you define that word for everybody? Uh, ecumenical is like a gathering of multiple denominations and religions. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't know what that meant. Sorry. Yeah. Well, let me also say this. If you were the member of, let's say, the Democratic Party, and it was found that thousands and thousands of kids were systematically raped, And then when this information was found out by the head of the Democratic Party and the local leaders of the the, the individual branches of the the Democratic Party, that they not only covered up the brutal, torturous rapes of children, but they shielded those, uh, those perpetrators from prosecution. They shielded them from prosecution by, oh, you're the you're the head of the. The Madison County Democratic Party, ah, we're going to shift you over here to the other side of the country or maybe the world to be involved with the Democratic Party over here. Would you still consider yourself a Democrat? I've said this before. If if you take your car to Jiffy Lube to get the oil changed and you found out that thousands of kids were being raped at the hands of employees of the Jiffy Lube, would you still go to Jiffy Lube to get your oil changed? Probably not. And for me, that is a cult-like devotion to a church. If it works for you, great. If there's some kind of a cultural thing that you get from it, look, it would not work for me, and I got a problem with it, but I don't consider you complicit in the rape of or the cover-up of I believe that it's very hard, just like we've been talking about Trump family, to step away or to cut yourself off or to cut them off. 
It's equally, maybe even more difficult to do that with an organization like the Catholic Church or any other religion. I'm seeing, if I'm seeing the discomfort across the table that I'm seeing, I'm sure that what I just said is, uh, I tell you what. The views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollarmore are solely those of Jesse Dollarmore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. Just to cover our bases, you know what I mean? <laughs> you didn't even ask for it, but I'm just, uh, it's a preemptive disclaimer based on the uncomfortability that I'm feeling. Well, you know, it's a funny thing that sometimes when you say something, it gets attributed to both of us. Yes. <laughs> like if it's controversial, sometimes it gets attributed to both of us. But then like if I make a hilarious joke, it's like, oh, Jesse, I love that thing you said on the show. <laughs> I love it when it goes that way. Come on, guys. Is me too doing nothing for the lades? Let's really that's work right. on this. All right. That's right. Brittany's um, accomplishments are being erased. Yeah, that's fine. Um, It's not so... Yes, we've been talking about this a lot. That's why I just, I feel like some of these are, it's repeating, right? Yeah. Um, but it, I know that Gene said, I'm not trying to make the argument that I have had a positive experience and I'm not trying to generalize that to everyone else's experience. But that's why I was kind of, I don't understand what his question was, right? If he wants to hear from other Catholics that say, Gene, I'm right there with you. I've had a good experience. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. going to be other Catholics who come forward and say, yeah, I was raped by my priest, Gene. You know, so well, I don't know what he's looking for. There's going to be people that had positive experiences for sure. There's going to be people right there with you, Gene. And then there's going to be other people who have had their lives ruined by the church. Well, and their lives ruined while the person who ruined their life was protected and shifted from parish to parish and allowed to thrive. So we, we've talked about it a lot on the show where it's an individual decision. You know, at some point, some people say, it's time for me to cut ties with this organization. And you heard Adam on the bonus episode talk about his family, his Mormon family, and how it has become more difficult for him in recent months to try to have a balanced approach in his relationship with them because of their beliefs. Yeah. Um, that's an individual decision that he made. Um, people have to make these decisions and they're going to weigh different factors more heavily than others. I don't know what goes into it, you know? So, yeah. I mean, if, if Gene is looking for stories to affirm that, that it's okay that he's had a positive experience, like it's okay that you had a positive experience with the church, Gene, and I'm glad that you had that. I'm glad that you weren't hurt or harmed. That's great. But other people have. A lot of people have. Yeah. And it's important to not try to overemphasize the positive and ignore that negative. Um, because those stories deserve to be heard and highlighted. Let me also say this, that you could have done the same type of humanitarian charity work for multiple secular organizations. Yeah. Doing good work at homeless shelters isn't unique to religion. Yeah. It is not something that can only happen from a religious perspective. All kinds of organizations that are secular, that are non-religious, do great work. Yeah. Well, and you hear that argument a lot, right? When people... What about the good things? Right. What about the good things? Yeah. What about the good things? You know, they, there are good things for sure. And no one's trying to take that away. But it, it's kind of telling to me that when the criticism does come up, everyone tries to run to. But what about the good things? It's like, can't we just kind of sit with this for a bit? Yeah. And wrestle with the problems for a little bit. You know, we shouldn't we shouldn't be trying to run to um, the good things and try to protect a conversation from happening uh, that really dives deep into the negative aspects of it and the ways in which that people have been harmed because that stuff is important for sure the other the other thing that comes to mind is it's kind of like that argument that you always hear that you know Muslims have a responsibility to speak out against the 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 Islamism and the the violence and the terrorism and I don't necessarily disagree with that but I think it's akin to also this this topic. Like, where are all the... Listen, it's one thing when a couple of atheists sit around and criticize the Catholic Church because they're covering up for rape. But how much more powerful would it be if legions of Catholics globally stood up and said, no fucking more. 
or however they say it. Mm -hmm. But I also want to say that we've come a long way, right? We've talked a lot about, and I don't think Adam identifies as an atheist anymore. Um, He didn't explicitly say that, but I was just kind of getting that vibe. I don't know if I'm wrong there, but um, you and I have talked about where we kind of started in our atheism being very rah, rah and angry, right? And how we've, we've moved away from that, both on our own kind of course and so if if Gene feels like we were unnecessarily attacking or engaging in some sort of unfair critique, then I would want to hear that, right? Because I don't want to be doing that. I want to be Either do I. I want to be even-handed yeah. and realistic in my criticism and I don't want to be over the top. So if that happens, we we want to hear that. But I didn't hear a specific criticism in that call. Um so Yes, we want to be even-handed and fair in these discussions, and, especially knowing that we we are not religious people anymore. And you know? we also really, I, I'm going to emphasize, re-emphasize your point, we do want to be criticized. We want, we're inviting pushback if we're being irrational mm-hmm. about the things we're saying. Yeah, I don't want to be irrational. <laughs> yeah, of course not. I, I, and I also don't want to be the person that people are afraid to say, you're being irrational. Yeah, hey, hey right? fucking clean up your ass. Yeah, I, yeah. I want to ensure that people feel like they can tell me that. Because sometimes we all need that. We yeah. all need people who can do that. <laughs> For sure. So let's let's put it out to the audience. I'd love to know. Um on on both fronts here, offering Gene some 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 advice from the community at large. And also, um are we too much? Are we too little? Where what is the audience kind of a poll of the audience related to our our past performance on this? I'd love to know. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Thank you, Gene, very much for the voicemail. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. We would like to thank our latest Patreon supporter, Mark. Mark! Mark, thank you so much for your beautiful support of the show. We very much appreciate it. And thank you to each and every one of you who have been voting for us in the OC Weekly's Best of 2019. We are nominated to be the best local podcast in Orange County, California, which is very exciting. We're very excited about it. And we hope that you will take some time to vote for us. You can vote once per day. So remember that. Yes. Once per day until September 26th. And then the winners will be announced in October. So we're really excited about this. We have pinned the link to our Facebook page. I doubt it with Dollamore podcast on Facebook. Uh, We've also been putting the link everywhere. So if you go to our Twitter at I doubt it podcast at Dollamore at Brittany E. Page. We should pin the tweet to the top of the I doubt it podcast Twitter account. We will do that as well so that it's easy to find. Yeah. Yes. But we appreciate all your beautiful support whether it's through Patreon, on PayPal, shopping through the Amazon link, or just by listening and telling your friends. That's a really important part of helping the audience grow, and we love you guys for it. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. It looks like we are moving forward related to the impeachment process of Donald Trump. The Judiciary Committee just announced that they are taking the next step. Yes, the House Judiciary Committee is preparing to take its first formal vote to define what Chairman Jerry Nadler calls an ongoing, quote, impeachment investigation of President Donald Trump. And this is according to multiple sources briefed on the discussions. And it was the story was broken by Politico. Broken. I broke broken. The story was smashed wide open. Is that is that correct? It I didn't have no feel idea. correct. I don't know. All right. Well, we're having some problems here today. <laughs> uh, the panel could vote just today. What? The pa- <laughs> 
I have I have consumed so much coffee that I feel jittery and very on edge. You know when you start feeling kind of shaky because you didn't nope. you didn't eat enough food to cancel out the amount of coffee that you've consumed. I don't know what that's like. Well, that's where I'm currently at, and it's I, not good. I am a finely tuned machine, mm. Brittany Page. Okay, those kind of physical weaknesses I don't experience. Much like Donald Trump, I'm a. I'm a specimen. Okay. Yeah. Um, did you also make your bed this morning and you're like living by the 12 rules for life, oh, according yeah. to Dr. Ma- Jordan my B. Room. Peterson? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Made yeah. my bed. Oh, All right. by the way, since we're here, oh. I know we're talking about impeachment and that's important. <laughs> okay. But everybody should go watch Vic Berger's new video on, uh-huh. on the YouTube. It's like a half hour long. Yeah. And it is goddamn fantastic. Mm-hmm. Talking about the different grifters that surround Donald Trump. It really is. Oh, my God. It's great. Yeah. (laughs) It is so good. I think it's called Dr. Jordan B. Peterson and Other Grifters. And I love Vic Berger's videos because he randomly will put in the Oz, (laughs) which make me laugh every time. And then he also randomly puts blowhorn noises in. (laughs) And he also zooms in on different parts of people's bodies like their feet or their nose or their mouth licking thing with their mouth yeah or or, or their it's pretty great yeah it's very funny um so anyway back to impeachment back to impeachment back to the important things the panel could vote as early as wednesday on a resolution to spell out the parameters of its investigation the precise language is still being hammered out inside the committee and with house leaders a draft of the resolution is expected to be released on monday morning and why this is different and i i don't think this will be the official but once they file articles of impeachment the the investigatory process is a little smoother because certain things can't be so easily denied certain things can't be so easily um obstructed relative to them getting information because it is a formal thing that happens where they're trying to get information for a specific uh, process. According to this, that is correct. What oh, you just right. said that it basically is intended to increase the quote, and this is what they said: officialness. The officialness. <laughs> wow. Of the ongoing probe. So there was this struggle, right, to really get the impeachment proceedings off the ground or have them be taken seriously, and so that is what this move is supposed to do: is increase the officialness the, uh, that is an Again, official that's word. a quote yeah. that's a quote uh democrats are hopeful that explicitly defining their impeachment inquiry will heighten their leverage to compel testimony from witnesses that's right because right now as it is they subpoena and people just don't fucking show up mm-hmm. or they do show up and then they they cannot be because a subpoena is intended to compel testimony like when i was on the grand jury and witnesses would show up with a subpoena in hand and then they read their rights. Listen, you have a right to remain silent if anything you've done may incriminate you. You're not. You cannot be compelled to 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 testify against yourself to incriminate yourself. But you can't remain silent. You can't invoke the Fifth Amendment, your Fifth Amendment right, to not incriminate someone else, even if it's a family member. That was a case several times. Yeah. So this is what's happening with Donald Trump and his cronies. The people in his orbit, and by going into more of an officialness <laughs> space, mm-hmm. they're hoping to avoid the obstruction that we've seen thus far. Right. So that is good news. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, I don't, I cannot see how the, these two things that we're getting ready to talk about aren't um, impeachable offenses. We talked last time about Donald Trump. Well, we've talked multiple times about Donald Trump and how he is enriching himself through the presidency, whether it be um, foreign dignitaries staying at his resorts as an effort to curry favor with the administration and his policies. Well, and let me read this, this little uh, tidbit for you guys, just to kind of facilitate that rage within you. Make it officialness. Uh, yeah. <laughs> This is the amount that has been spent at Trump properties by political candidates and party organizations since January 2017. Are you ready? Yes. 5.6 million. Yes. Now compare that to the amount spent in the four years before Trump's bid for president. Are you ready? 
I know the number because I did a video about the uh, 2,300 plus conflicts of interest, but go ahead. 119,000. Yeah. That is spent in the four years. Yes. Before his bid for the presidency. And then since January 2017, 5.6 million. So the Republican Party is just naked in its approach and doesn't no concern whatsoever that all they're trying to do is enriching the man who leads their party. Speaking of fucking cults, what are you talking about? This is insane. We, we, we've talked about Donald Trump floating the idea that he's going to hold the G7 next year at Doral, Trump National Doral in Miami, mm-hmm. <laughs> which would net him millions of dollars. Yeah. But it's not just that. We talked last episode about Mike Pence mm-hmm. staying at Dunebeg. His, 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 uh, his golf course and resort in Ireland, a 188 mile, three hour drive from Dublin. Dublin? No, I like ED on the end. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you had Amy Klobuchar tweet, um, I think yesterday saying that she pledges to not ever have her vice president stay at one of her own resorts. And she's like, oh, wait, I don't own a resort. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. But it's not just that. It's not just Mike Pence. It's not just um, Donald Trump trying to hold international global economic conferences at his properties. It's not just Donald Trump every weekend going to a different Trump property where he stays and the government pays for him to stay there. Right. And his entourage and his kids. His security, his aides, his staff, all of it. Yeah. His kids who are staff. It's also the military. We're just learning, and the House is now investigating an Air Force trip that was taken, flying to the Middle East, stopping off in Scotland, where they stayed at this luxury resort rather than on a military base somewhere. Anita, I'd like to begin with you as the man on TV says, but wait, there's more. And it comes from, of all places, Politico tonight. And here is the story. In early spring of this year, an Air National Guard crew made a routine trip from the U.S. to Kuwait to deliver supplies. Uh, What wasn't routine was where the crew stopped along the way. President Donald Trump's Turnberry Resort, about 50 miles outside Glasgow, Scotland. Since April, the House Oversight Committee has been investigating why the crew on the C-17 military transport plane made the unusual stay, both en route to the Middle East and on their way back to the luxury waterside resort. They've yet to receive any answers from the Pentagon. The inquiry is part of a broader, previously unreported probe into U.S. military expenditures at and around Trump property in Scotland. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask the control room, Anita, while we have our conversation, to rerun that scroll of existing uh, and proposed investigations when I ask you uh, what comes of the toll of all of this. Just tonight's story added on the top of the pile. Yeah, I mean, this is something that we we really haven't talked about. You're you're scrolling through all these other investigations. What we've continued to hear about Trump properties for the last two years is this thing called the emoluments clause, the foreign emoluments clause, that the president should not be taking money from foreign governments. What we've barely heard about is the thing we're talking about tonight, which is the president of the United States is not supposed to get any other money uh, profits from uh, the taxpayers besides his salary. So all these times that Mike Pence and his children and himself stay at these properties, Secret Service, the military, other agencies are right there along with them and putting money into Trump hotels. This is a whole nother line of inquiry that we haven't really seen much about, but but these members of Congress want to start looking at. Franco, there's further reporting tonight that these air crews were walking around this resort feeling ill at ease because they had the clothing they had and they were certainly not dressed for the surroundings. Will anyone, Franco, in the White House be surprised by just tonight's latest story? I mean, I certainly think that today's story uh, regarding the airmen uh, is going to 
you know, raise some eyebrows even in the White House. But as Anita is saying, this is not something that's new. It's not uh, it's not just the airman. It's not just Mike Pence. You know, watchdog groups have been conducting FOIAs uh, since the beginning of the administration, requesting thousands of documents that show receipts and documents of all these type of incidents. Uh, you know, Secretary Ross has been at, at, at the Trump uh, hotels more than 20 times. Pence has been more than 20 times. Uh, Secretary, um, you know, uh, several different uh, cabinet members as well as family have been there raising questions, as Anita said, about the domestic emoluments charge uh, clause. And this is something that is really going to continue, I think, uh, to be more questions are going to come. Uh, Rick Wilson, it's um, unabashed. It's happening seemingly in plain sight. And this is why our friend Chris Matthews, at least one night a week, refers to the Trump family as the Romanovs. They are, uh, Brian. And I'll tell you one thing. Uh, and, and look, it's been a minute since I was in the DOD. But I can tell you, it's part of regulations in the DOD that air crews are not to stay overnight at civilian facilities unless it is mission essential. They're supposed to go from military to military facilities, and I'm pretty much sure that uh, staying at a Trump golf resort is never mission essential for a U.S. Air Force or Navy crew uh, that's, that's it's heading over to the Middle East, to the, to the, to the active theater of combat in the Middle East. Um, this is some other element of the Trump grift. It is some element of the Trump scam. These are people who have obviously managed to corrupt folks down the chain, and sent the signal that, at the minimum, at the sent the signal that if you stay at Trump Resorts, maybe he'll like you more. And I think it's a, a, a an extraordinary moment where you know we're seeing it in in real time that they're they're forcing these airmen to land their C-17s off military airfields somewhere close to a Trump Resort in order to stay there. It is it is an unbelievable level of corruption. So as reported in Politico, according to a letter that the House sent to the Pentagon in June, the military has spent $11 million on fuel at the Prestwick Airport, the closest airport to Trump Turnbury, since October 2017. Fuel that would be cheaper if purchased at a U.S. military base. Yes. The letter also cites a Guardian report that the airport provided cut-rate rooms and free rounds of golf at Turnbury for U.S. military members. Taken together, the incidents raise the possibility that the military has helped keep Trump's Turnbury resort afloat. The property lost $4.5 million in 2017, but revenue went up $3 million. In 2018. See, and here's here's the deal, is that we we know how well Donald Trump's golf courses have done in the past, and then after he took office, right? That Doral, for instance, mm-hmm. where he well, wants to all, have the next that's right, the G7. G7 summit. So first of all, Donald Trump is wildly unpopular overseas, fucking way unpopular. So he needs an infusion of cash into these particular golf courses to keep them afloat, to keep them solvent. Right. But Doral, for instance, is seeing their their revenue decline because of the fact that the northeast quadrant of our country is who usually uses that golf course. Very popular with people in the northeast. But not since he's become president, because he's a fucking demagogue, because he's a racist, because he's stripping away uh, human rights and civil rights from people um, on a daily fucking basis. Yeah. Wildly unpopular, especially in the Northeast. So that's what's happening here. Donald Trump is trying to uh, prop up his businesses because of the damage that, that he's done to them fiscally. Through his policies and personality. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he's using the U.S. military. Yeah. As as a cudgel, as as a as a siphon of money out of the Pentagon budget, fraud, waste and abuse is what this is. Well, and it's concerning because a senior Democratic aide on the oversight panel said that, quote, the Defense Department has not produced a single document in this investigation. The committee will be forced to consider alternative steps if the Pentagon does not begin complying voluntarily in the coming days. Which, by the way, isn't normal. Because I can tell you from experience, the military coddles Congress because that's where the purse strings are. That's where promotions begin for officers. 
They don't want to fuck around with Congress because that's when the money spigot starts getting turned off. And we already have an over-aggressive military budget as it is, as you know, over $700 billion a year. Mm-hmm. Almost a trillion fucking dollars for our military. And this is where it's going. Paying for fuel that we could provide ourselves at a much lower rate. Paying for luxury rooms at a, at a, at a luxury golf resort in Scotland on the way to the Middle East. This is naked corruption. Well, and this is really um, a new level of corruption yes. because the the ethical concerns that have been raised the whole time he's been president about the foreign officials staying at his hotels about the supporters and industry groups that are regularly throwing parties at his properties all of this stuff that has been a concern all along yeah but now you have the potential involvement of the military yeah I mean, and, and listen, come on now. <laughs> where where are the Republicans? Where are the, oh, we, we need to be good stewards of taxpayer dollars? Where are they? Well, I'll tell you where they are. They're also staying in Trump hotels all across the country. Now on to the business. Uh, you have been tracking this. We'll put up on the screen, thanks to your your work, the number of Republican senators that have been spending money at the Trump Hotel properties. Right. That's just from public Public sourcing. Uh, walk us through again, and for viewers who may not know about your work, uh, although we've we've relied on it, what it is you found and why you thought it was important to track this apparent patronage. Sure. Um, I started looking at social media to see if we could find out who was spending money at the Trump Hotel, and you absolutely could. They're posting pictures on there. Um, I started off in, I guess it was August 2017, and it was Anthony Scaramucci and Rudy Giuliani, and you know here we are a couple years later, and. Yesterday, it was a governor of one of Pakistan's uh, provinces and Rudy Giuliani again, because he's a regular there. But you can really get a good glimpse of what's going on. So the senators, it's a mixture from FEC reports on campaign finance and also just pictures that I've seen of them online. And we've had I think it's 26 out of 53 Republican senators have been there. Only one Democrat senator. Senator. Right. So it's it's the majority of their caucus and counting. Um, it adds up to real money. The New York Times. Absolutely. Um, saying nearly 20 mil spent at Trump family hotels since 2015 only by Republican political groups. Um, based on your knowledge of the travel industry, which, which again is what, what you have some background in, um, is that an unusual amount of money for a hotel to get strictly for political reasons rather than what we might call earned or meritocratic interest in staying there? Well, what really stands out is how Republicans didn't go to Trump properties until Trump became president. I mean, that is just the fact that you can see. You've seen Mike Pence's committee has spent $225,000 there. Um, Speaker, or excuse me, Minority Leader McCarthy's committee has spent over $225,000. The RNC has dropped over $400,000. And a pro-Trump super PAC has dropped over $500,000. I mean, right there, it's clear cut. He is profiting from the presidency. Margaret? And didn't, I I don't know if Zach included this, uh, Pence's PACs uh, have paid $250,000 for at Trump properties already. Um, so, you know, the, the, what's striking about this is it, it's not hidden. It's all in plain sight. Yeah. It's bold. It's out there. And, like, Democrats are just getting around to it. As Jason says, where have they been? I mean, just walk into the lobby. Thank you, Zach, for doing it for us. That's really hard duty. Um, <laughs> but... Um, it's, it's there. It's not hard to get. You don't even need subpoenas. Just like right. you've got, you've got the documents. The documents are really powerful. Right. In this right. new house investigation, we're not going to learn anything new. We already right. know that when right. Trump went to Doombeg in, I think it was 2018, or excuse me, one of his Scottish golf courses in 2018, the taxpayers were on the bill for $77,000. Right. The Scotsman did a great job reporting that. We know that they're going to request these documents. Maybe they'll get them. Maybe they won't. Information might leak. But the end result is going to be that the taxpayers are probably on the hook for about $50,000. What matters then is what the Democrats do with that information, if anything. Because right now we're seeing nothing. There's seven different House panels that are looking into aspects of Trump's businesses. And we we haven't seen any public information. And we certainly haven't seen any sort of change in behavior. Jason? 
And all right, right, I got to say, like, what are they looking for at this point? Yelp reviews, right? Did they they want the senators to be like, well, I I didn't like the dinner here. The continental breakfast wasn't that good. What this basically amounts to, it wouldn't even require an investigation. This looks like kickbacks. This, this, I almost feel bad for some of these Republicans. They probably feel like if I don't spend money in a Trump hotel, he won't endorse me. He'll attack my primary opponent in 2020. Why it is that these members of the Senate can't realize that they are actually being taken advantage of as much as the American people is amazing. Amazing to me because I'm pretty sure a lot of these guys would rather spend a night at a Holiday Inn than $900 a pop at a Trump hotel. So here's the thing. A couple things. One, when he says, we're not going to learn anything new by this investigation. And I know he's on the side of finding out the truth here. We are going to, there is going to be something done by investigating this, by getting this on the congressional record, because it goes toward impeachment. It goes toward the possibility of a consequence for Donald Trump. It goes toward a consequence for these Republicans who are pouring Mike Pence, 225,000, Kevin McCarthy, 225,000, the Republican National Committee, $400,000. Other pro-Trump political action committees, $500,000. Mike Pence's political action committee, $350,000. This is millions of dollars that are being given to Donald Trump. These are kickbacks. Yeah, it's it's tragic that someone as... um dumb as Donald Trump (laughs) has been able to pull this off. And... I mean, he he's dumb in a lot of ways, but I guess in order to manipulate people in this way, you have to have some sort of ability. And I don't know if it's smarts. I don't I don't know what it is, but to be able to advance the narrative of draining the swamp while literally laughing in people's faces saying that he loves the poorly educated. Yeah. It it's amazing that he has been able to pull this off because it is so swampy in his administration and he still talks about draining the swamp while all of this is going on while being cheered for endlessly at his rallies. I love the poorly educated. It's just remarkable yeah. that, that this has happened. I, I don't really know what else to say. It's, it's truly shocking. Really well, what he's done. And I think every administration to a degree puts people that are loyal to them around themselves. Absolutely. But he has done it to a degree where he has his most loyal deputies and most loyal lieutenants um, go scorched earth. Like right now, there are two not legitimate. I mean, they are legitimate political characters, Uh but they're not legitimate contenders to primary him. Mm -hmm. And the Trump administration is closing off avenues of democracy by boxing these two men, Bill Weld and Joe Walsh, out of the primary and caucus process in several states. Tonight, we're going to talk about fear, namely the increasingly obvious fear that Donald Trump and his team are feeling about 2020. Politico reported today that four states are set to cancel their 2020 Republican presidential primaries and caucuses. South Carolina, Nevada, Arizona and Kansas are all expected to finalize the cancellations in meetings this weekend. The move would cut off some much needed oxygen to Trump's long shot primary challengers, former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld, former Illinois Congressman Joe Walsh and possibly former South Carolina Governor and Congressman Mark Sanford. And let's be clear. None of these challengers are polling within a mile of Donald Trump, who currently enjoys near complete devotion among the Republican base. So why cut off the challengers? Why strand his potential opponents if Team Trump is confident that he will be the 2020 Republican nominee? What are what are these state parties so afraid of? Or are they not the ones who are afraid? Political reports, the primary cancellations stem in part from months of behind the scenes maneuvering by the Trump campaign. Aides have worked to ensure total control of the party machinery, installing staunch loyalists at state parties while eliminating potential detractors. The aim, Trump's officials have long said, is to smooth the path to the president's renomination. Again, why would they need to do that if they're so confident that Trump can beat the likes of two ex-governors and a former one-term congressman? Here's Joe Walsh reacting to the news a few hours ago on The Beat. 
I think they're scared to death of this president having any other name on a primary ballot against him because he's imploding day by day. I think they're yeah. afraid. Look, that's not that's not a sign of strength. You want to eliminate elections? You want to, like, take away the will of the people? You don't yeah. do that if you're a big, strong Let me guy. Play. OK, now, Joe Walsh is not right about a lot of things. He's kind of got a point there. And while statistically none of the challengers is really threatening Trump's renomination right now, consider this statistic. Since 1976, no incumbent president who has faced a serious primary challenge has gone on to win re-election. Not one. Here's how Vanity Fair's Peter Hamby put the threat Trump faces. If Trump's fitness for office becomes a viable conversation, a conversation piece among Republicans and Republican-leaning independents for even just a few weeks next January or during the primaries in February, they will have accomplished something that nobody in politics has even bothered to attempt this campaign year, talking to center-right swing voters who are uncomfortable with the man in the White House. A primary might be the only chance to open up space between Trump and the Republicans who are looking for permission to vote against him next year. And it's not just the cancellation of primaries that seems to signal fear from Trump world about the election. According to Yahoo News, the president is panicking about his own VP. Behind the scenes, tensions have been mounting among Trump, Pence and their top advisors ever since the GOP's resounding losses in the 2018 midterms. In the weeks afterward, Trump asked aides about replacing Pence on the ticket. And he again, he asked again for their thoughts on Pence during his August vacation, according to Trump advisors. NBC News has not yet confirmed that reporting. But the Yahoo story is one more data point indicating that the Trump campaign is not superbly confident 14 months out from the election and that they're willing to do almost anything to change the state of the race. Joe Walsh issued a statement that echoed uh, what she just said, quote, Trump and his allies and the Republican National Committee are doing whatever they can to eliminate primaries in certain states and make it very difficult for primary challengers to get on the ballot in a number of states. It's wrong. The RNC should be ashamed of itself. And I think it does show that Trump is afraid of a serious primary challenge because he knows his support is very soft. Yeah, I think I think all of that is true. There's an element of truth to it. I also think this is a probably a more what I'm getting ready to say, I think, is probably more relevant. And that's the fact that Donald Trump wants complete, total and complete unanimity. It's a strong man tactic. It's like back in the days when Saddam Hussein was alive and they had, quote unquote, elections held. And Saddam would say, oh, I got 99% of the vote. Like, get the fuck. No one gets 99%. And Donald Trump wants that kind of dictatorial control over the party. He wants it to appear that he is like a Kim Jong-un figure where everyone supports him. Everyone loves him. No one is a dissenter against him. And those that are, are an enemy of the state. They're an enemy of the people. The Democratic Party, enemy of the people. The free press, the constitutionally protected free press, enemy of the people. And the Republican Party, just like they're propping him up in business and pouring millions and millions of dollars into his pockets, are also ceding control to him as well. Well, and I do wonder how common this is, because I read that the closest comparison to what's happening right now is what happened in 1992 when it was George H.W. Bush who was facing a primary challenge from Pat Buchanan. Yeah. Uh, Pat Buchanan uh, met him. My parents loved him. Uh, racist and um, several states adored by white supremacists and white nationalists. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, several states that year um, ditched the Republican contests, including Iowa. Um, and apparently he said in an interview that they didn't really have a role in his defeats, or mm -hmm. at least he didn't believe that and said that Bush won his renomination fair and square. But I just wonder how often this kind of thing happens, because I don't think that I've ever heard about it before. Well, I, it, the, the question is, how often does a, a, a sitting incumbent president do such a bad job, uh, present a situation where someone wants to primary them? Yeah. And not only does Donald Trump have one scant attempt, he's mm -hmm. got two. Yeah. Bill Weld. I mean, look, Joe Walsh is a ding dong. And, Let's not fucking kid ourselves. And a racist. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He is. But Bill Weld is a 
is a legitimate individual. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know. I mean, day after day after day, I I am the the, the patina that surrounds whatever shred of of uh, admiration that I once held for the Republican Party is just dissipating it's just falling away it's disintegrating well and the idea that it is no longer the republican party it is the trump party yeah that idea comes into more direct focus now that this is happening i mean how do they come back from this once trump's gone whether it be through impeachment or election how do they come back from this and say oh yeah well you know he was the leader of the party we just we had to enrich him by millions of dollars that's just that's just the way of the world right no mm-hmm. you're all liars you're defending a racist human rights abuser who's also a fucking con man grifter who's enriching himself in violation of our founding documents and the principles that we live by or aspire to live by here come the fuck on well, don't forget that there is also um, a debate coming up on September 12th for the Democratic presidential candidates. Yes. And in that debate, as a reminder, we have Biden, Booker, Buttigieg, Castro, Harris, Klobuchar, O'Rourke, Sanders, Warren, and Yang. Why was it in that order that you read it? And that's the order that it was in in the New York Times. Oh, they, but they don't. It doesn't seem to make any sense. Because Biden was like first, and then you've got Sanders and and Elizabeth Warren toward the end there, and then Yang. It looks like alphabetical, right? Oh, no, that would make sense. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, alphabetical. <laughs> I just wonder. I wonder what you know what their rhyme or reason is, and that seems to be a good rhyme or reason. Although yeah. I think when when places, I think do you it, just are very sensitive to Biden being put first or and then sanders and warren at the end maybe that's it yeah i think but that- also, i like to know what the methodology is because it seems to me if i was running a paper i whatever date of the article was i would put them in poll order mm-hmm. i don't know yeah well i was listening to the daily about the current state of the democratic race with all the people dropping out and the consensus being that people are starting to drop out now because they believe it's a three-man race the three people being Biden, Warren, and Sanders in that order. And the reason that people believe it is down to three candidates at this point is because Biden has remained at the top the entire time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Warren has been the only candidate that continues to rise in the polls after each debate. Mm -hmm. You saw Harris jump up after the first debate, but then that support tanked. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then Sanders is included in that top three because he has that that large base of support that is pretty unwavering. Yeah, His 18 to 24 support is goddamn like 20 points higher than any other candidate. Yeah. It's remarkable. Yeah. So the the consensus being that this is pretty much down to three candidates unless something drastic changes yeah. in this next debate. I, I'm, listen, uh, I, I'm admitting, I admitted a long time ago and I continue to, that mm-hmm. I was with everybody else who was fucking wrong about Donald Trump because it's not conventional. But we're talking about democratic politics in, in, in the conventional side of this. And I I don't think I'm just being overly optimistic when I say I don't see Joe Biden being the nominee. I think there are many, many, many more gaffes to come and not only more frequent, but also more severe. And I think he's just going to fall off. Yeah. And here's the thing that we should really be doing is envisioning the future in which whichever candidate it is, is up against Donald Trump in the debates that are going to be on TV. Imagine the way that Donald Trump behaved during his debates with Hillary Clinton. Which candidate is going to be the strongest in that competition on TV against Donald Trump? Biden? No, I I don't see that. I see a very, like, childish way of handling Donald Trump and his antics where it's like two old guys talking about how they're going to take each other out behind the school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, I don't think that's going to go well. We need someone who's quick on their feet, who is intelligent. Um, who knows policy 
inside and out and is able to communicate it right. in 90 to to you know to 180 second bursts. Who can just dunk on Donald Trump yeah. and show what a bumbling fool he really yeah, is. For sure. And you know what right now uh I think that is Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, mm-hmm. not necessarily in that order. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. Yeah. We will see. Well, let's we'd love to hear from you about all of these, any and all of these topics that we've talked about today, we really do try to provide uh, an atmosphere, a platform for your views as well as ours in, a, in an effort to build a community here. We'd love for you to help uh, promote the show. If you could share a link on Facebook, share a link on Twitter, go rate and review the show on iTunes or now called Apple Podcasts. That would be fantastic. We'd love to hear from you, 657-464-7609. Of course, email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We will see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Stop the kayaking. Stop the vigorous kayaking. Brittany, please. <laughs> <laughs>